Good morning. Uh, just a little additional information about the baptism, which will be the 18th, uh, which is not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, will be the baptisms. And uh, the whole service is going to be at uh, our house. That's where we're going to have our whole Sunday service. We'll be singing worship there and uh, a little teaching, and then we'll, we'll do the baptisms and have a barbecue. So... I'll remind you again next week, we will not be meeting here. Sunday the 18th, we'll be meeting at our house, which isn't too far from here. And uh, for the guys that need rides and all that, we'll work all that out. Just let us know, and we'll have a pickup to get you, uh, to get you out there. That'll be fun. Now, the baptisms would take place in a little pond that's behind our house. And I've warned those that are being baptized, there are snapping turtles and alligators and snakes in there. So, all poisonous. According to Darnell, they're all poisonous. And so we're going to see how serious they are about being baptized. Kidding. It's, cl- it's clean. Well, not that clean, but it's a pond. But it'll, you'll be safe in there. So that's where the baptism will be on uh, Sunday the 18th. And I look forward to that day. We've got a number signed up already. And uh, I'll be in the water with you, so uh, you can be assured it's uh, fairly safe. Uh, let's review last week's uh, teaching. Uh, it's inside your bulletin. I'm trying to give you a little lengthier uh, reviews. Um, just with, Now I'm trying to add scripture to it too in case you want to go back and look up some of these things uh, like good Bereans and, and see if what I've been teaching you is actually true to the word. So it's in the, it's in the bulletin. So let's review. It said first what we learned last uh, time was that Paul was obedient to the gospel. From the day of his salvation on that Damascus road until the day God called him home, he was obedient to God and the gospel. Now, we talked about our call to obedience last week. Uh, we, we talked about obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, it's, it's amazing that the temptation for all of us is to live our own lives. We're in control. We're going to make our own decisions. We're going to live life our way. And then our sacrifices are we're going to come to church on Sunday or Bible study or maybe a little devotion and then continue to live our life our way day after day. See, that, that would be an indication that, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice. That's not the kind of life God wants us to live. Uh, he wants us to be obedient in every aspect. The next point on the bulletin there is a full-time call to obedience. Uh, it's not just showing up at church. It's obeying him in church. It's obeying him at work. It's obeying him at home. Uh, even when we're alone, we're to be living that obedient life. And, it's, and it, we're to be obedient not just with our body, but with our mind and our emotions. Obedience is something we need to pray for, for we need God's help to be obedient. Obedience gives us freedom, not bondage. That's a lie of the evil one, that following God's way is restrictive and, and bondage when actually it is freedom that we find in the obedience to God's word and God's way. Obedience is how we prove our love for Jesus Christ. Obedience brings God's blessings into our life. Obedience allows us to experience God the Father, God the Son, the love of God the Father, God the Son, and allows Jesus to reveal himself to us. And obedience to the gospel is of first importance in our Christian life. Amen? I'll just say just a comment on this. I I just can't tell you enough, brothers and sisters, that many people come to me 
and under the, under the uh, disguise of seeking godly counsel. And in reality, they're just coming to share with me their plans. You know what I'm saying? They come to share with me their, their, their plans. They're not really seeking godly counsel. And I can tell you over and over and over again, I've been working in this uh, broken city now for, for about 10 years. Over and over and over again, I see these people that decide to live out their own plan uh, ending up in a bad way. We just had another brother that came to us and was telling us his plan and, and supposedly under, again, the disguise of seeking godly counsel. Well, he is now in prison again, and he will be in prison for a long time. And, you know, I can, I, can, I can name to you many, many men that have died. Physically, they are dead. They came to us with their plan, they've lived it out, and they ended up being killed with overdoses and other things. The only reason I tell you that is that this obedience thing is a serious matter. And for, for my, our dear brothers here that are from Wayside and, and that, I'm just telling you that you need to stay, stay put, stay under the obedience of God. Don't be in a hurry to get back into the world. It'll be there five years, ten years from now. There's nothing more important than you to, to uh, desire and seek out the obedience to God. And, I, you know, I could, put, I, could, I could do a whole PowerPoint slide after slide of the people that used to be here that are now either in prison or dead. It's a serious matter. Obedience. It brings freedom. Okay, with that, let's move on to Acts chapter 27. If you'd open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27, we're going to talk about sailing to Rome in a shipwreck today, and uh, some very good teaching in here, so I, I look forward to it. With that, uh, if you open up to Acts 27, we'll start with verse 1, and our brother Ralph is going to open the Word today. So if you'd stand as we read God's Word, I would appreciate that. He would appreciate that. Let's read. And it was decided that we would sail for Italy. Paul and some of the prisoners were handed over to the centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship for Andromidium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the, to the lee of Cy, Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamph <clears throat> Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sindias. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lassie. Uh. <laughs> Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because uh, by now it was <clears throat> by now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them, men, 
I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bringing great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to Paul, to what, to listening to what Paul had said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we would sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. Thank you. Amen. Ralph, I struggle with a lot of those names too, so. So, brothers and sisters, I want to bring you into the this historical setting of this again. I mean, you've got to picture this. Paul had been in prison for two years in Caesarea. He had been tried by the governor Festus, by the governor Felix, and also by King Agrippa. And, and all of them found him to be innocent, right? And, and when, he was, when he was against, when he was up, up being tried by uh, Governor Festus, he proclaimed one of his rights, which is, I want to go to Rome. I, I, want, to, I want to go before, this, before Nero, which was the emperor at that time. So they granted him that. They granted him that he would be able to go there, right? So I mean, just want to picture this. So Paul's finally going to Rome, right? I mean, get excited about I don't know if you've ever, maybe, I don't think of maybe getting married or going on vacation or, or something. You know, the night before, you just can't sleep. You're so excited about what, what stands before you. And, you know, Paul, I'm sure he had his bags packed the night before. He couldn't wait. They probably came early morning to his cell to get onto the ship. He's escorted out of his cell and brought to this ship, and he was heading to Rome. Can you picture the excitement in Paul in this whole thing? I mean, I just get pumped up. But, and, and then, so he gets on the ship, and you've got to imagine, I mean, Paul's going, okay. I mean, he's got to be praying without ceasing. He's got to be reviewing his scriptures. He's getting ready to go share the gospel with the emperor of Rome, right? And whoever else God may lay across his path. So Paul, you've got to believe Paul had butterflies. He's going through his scrolls and reviewing his scripture, praying without ceasing, getting ready to share the gospel when he gets to Rome. That's the way I picture this thing unfolding right here. So he gets to the ship, but we see it didn't, didn't go so good, did it? As he got in the ship here, as, as uh, our brother Ralph just read, uh, it tells us one thing, he was traveling with other prisoners. Now, when you look at the original language on this, it, it says prisoners of a different kind, which probably means these were prisoners not going to Rome to be tried, but they're going to Rome to be killed. That's probably what it means. So he's riding with a bunch of prisoners uh, with a death sentence. Now it says here, too, that he's with this, uh, the leader is Julius, a centurion, which means he's a commander of 100 soldiers, and he's part of the Imperial Regiment. Now, stay with me. We've got to get some historical setting here. The Imperial Regiment, probably he worked directly for the emperor, and so since these men had to come back to Rome, uh, he, was gonna, he worked for the emperor. He's going to escort these, sol- these prisoners back to Rome. One other thing, interesting note here, it says we again. If you remember, Dr. Luke dropped off at Acts 21, and now Dr. Luke's back with Paul because he says we. So Dr. Luke's joined him again on the mission. And we see this other uh, dear brother, Aristarchus, who was, uh, remember this guy? This is the brother that was with Paul in Ephesus when the riot broke out. I know it seems like a lifetime ago we were at that chapter, but the riot broke out. And they arrested Aristarchus, and he was taking some of the persecution for what was going on in Ephesus. You know, all the idol manufacturers were ticked off. You remember that? So 
that he was there at that time and, and faced some persecution himself. Then he went with Paul on the journey to Jerusalem to bring the love offering from the Gentile church. That's the same dude. This is the same brother. Then it, it would seem that he stayed with Paul in Jerusalem through all these trials, and it sounds like he probably stayed with Paul in Caesarea when he was in prison for two years. And we'll, in other scriptures, we'll find out that he also stays with Paul when he's imprisoned in Rome. And church history indicates that he was, he was also martyred like Paul was. He was killed for his faith uh, in Rome like Paul was. So this is a real brother. You know what I'm talking about? You know, in our, in our Christian lives, just to get on a tangent for a second, our Christian life, you know, we have lots of, there's a long scale of brothers and sisters in our life. There's some that are more acquaintances, right? Hey, good morning, brother. Good to see you, sister. Good to see you, right? And then there's this group on the other end which are like Aristarchus, what we refer to them as foxhole brothers and sisters. These are people, man, you can, you can trust your life with these brothers and sisters. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of brother and sister in your life? They're far and few between. They got your back. You can sleep in the foxhole and know that they're going to stay awake to protect you. If someone comes at you with some fault, someone comes to you with some false gossip about you, they're going to stand up and defend you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to walk with you through the difficult parts of life. Do you have a brother or sister like that? They're far and few between, but you need them. You need a brother or sister like that in your life. And Paul had this one, and, and I believe Dr. Luke was that kind of brother too, but definitely Aristarchus. So here's who he's traveling with. Now, just so you know, for, for Paul to have these people travel with him, Dr. Luke probably said, I'm his personal physician, I have to travel with him. And Aristarchus probably checked in as a slave. I'm Paul's slave. That's the way they would be allowed to travel with Paul on this journey. So here they were, they were, they were traveling, and uh, there's another amazing thing in verse 3. It says they landed in Sidon, and Julius, in his kindness, let Paul go to shore. Now you're saying, what does that matter? I mean, come on, this is not that far from Caesarea. Paul, the Jews could have, the religious leaders could have easily been waiting for Paul, following him, and, and waited there and killed him right there in Sidon. Or Paul could have run away, right? He just let him go to shore. Now, just so you know, in, in the Roman Empire, if Paul disappeared or Paul was killed, who's going to face the, face the consequences? Julius would. And Julius would probably be killed if Paul escaped or if Paul was killed. So it doesn't say it in the text, but i got to believe that Julius either really was uh, admired and respected Paul through those two years in Caesarea, or I like to believe Julius got saved. Julius was a brother in the Lord. He got saved. He trusted Paul. Go on, go ashore, go see your brothers and sisters, get your supplies, no worries. He had total confidence Paul would return. So he lets him go to shore to, to visit his friends and get his supplies. And then just... Stay with me here. We've got to set this up a little bit. But 4 through 6 here, we see that they, they travel, um, and they go for Sicilia to Pamphylia, and they landed in Myra in Lycia. And, and here they got in an Alexandrian ship. Now, just, I think, I don't know, I'd like to make the Scripture come alive. What's an Alexandrian ship? That was a grain ship. It was a, a grain ship, and you have to realize that at this time, Egypt was the breadbasket for Rome. And so they had these large grain ships that would travel between Egypt and Rome to deliver the grain and, and the uh, food for, for the Roman Empire. But just so you know a little bit about this ship, they're typically 140 feet long, 36 feet wide. They had no rudder. 
They just had two big oars in the back of the boat to steer it. They had one mast with a giant square sail, and they could only sail with the wind. They couldn't sail against the wind. It's a very limited ship. It would be like a barge today. You know, very hard to maneuver, very one-directional type of ship. So they, they find this ship, and they decide to move all the, the troops and, and the prisoners onto this ship and, and take that ship on its way to, uh, to Rome. Now look what happens in verses 7 through 9. It says, We made slow headway uh, for many days and, difficult, and had difficulty ar- arriving off Snidus. It's actually Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salomone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. So, very difficult travels in this giant ship. And we see that it was the, uh, in verse 9, that was a day of atonement. Why does he bring that up? Just so you know that the open sea was not typically traveled from September on. Very limited travel because the seas became dangerous. And from, really, from November until February, there was no open sea travel. So Paul's letting us know that we're late in season here. It's a very dangerous t- time to be traveling by sea. And they're having a difficult time in, uh, in their journeys. So we see also that much had been lost. And then Paul makes a speech here, which is interesting because he's a prisoner, but they're listening to him. You have to remember that Paul had already been through three shipwrecks, so they probably wanted some of his counsel on this, right? He was an expert in shipwrecks. And he said, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives. But the centurion... Julius, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. There was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. So we see that they did not take Paul's counsel, and they proceeded on with the journey. Now follow with me on verse 13 here. Is everybody doing okay? Everybody awake? Yeah, we're all with me this morning? All right, stay with me. got some text here. It's very historical, but we'll get into some good stuff. So look at what happened here. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught up by the storm and could not head into the wind because we know those ships can't head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the, to the lee of a small island called Caudia, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard and then passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day we began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, if you look up here for a second, I never pass an opportunity to bring a map up. (laughs) But, you know, I just want to show you what's going on here. I mean, here's Caesarea where Paul was in prison for two years. Jerusalem's right over here, just a little bit past here, but... So they sailed out, they hit 
Sidon here where Paul visited his friends. And because of the winds, they started hugging the coast here, trying to go around. They got to Myra, and this is where they got on the big grain ship, the Alexandrian grain ship. And then they were sailing along. They planned on sailing along the shorelines here, but this wind caught them and blew them off course. And this is the island of Crete. So they were being blown way off course, and they were able to, to move around and get behind this island to protect them from the winds. And here's safe havens, fair havens, uh, right here in this island. That's where they were porting. That's where Paul said, hey, guys, we ought to stay here for the whole winter and uh, wait this out, otherwise we're going to lose the ship and the lives. The guys said no. They started traveling along the island of Crete, and then the northeaster, which a hurricane force blowing across the top of this island, came down and started blowing them way off course. You see that? So here, um, you know, they, they get, there's a little island here. I know you can't see it. That's Caudia. They get over here. They get behind that little island just for a little bit of time because normally you would tow your lifeboat behind you and your ship. They, it's probably swamped. They pulled it back to the boat. They put it on top of the boat. Then they would take ropes and put them underneath the ship, bring them on top, and they'd winch them on to kind of pull the ship together, to hold it together so it wouldn't get torn apart by the storms. And then they lowered some anchors, which is like putting your brakes on because they're just going to go wherever the wind blows in the ship. Okay? So that's what happened at, at, at this point. Then they went on. By this time, they're still going way off course. They're worried they're going to run aground in this. There's a, a ship graveyard in the Sirtis, uh, is sandbars. So they start dumping their cargo. Then they dump their tackle and dropping more anchors or trying to prevent themselves from going over off the north coast of Africa. And you're all saying, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that map with us this morning. And we won't finish this, but I mean, we're eventually today we'll come over here is where they are shipwrecked, and then uh, next week we'll pick up on uh, the trip to Rome. But that's where we are right now. We're right here in the text. Now look at verse 20. We didn't finish this, but look what's going on here. Verse 20 says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. They just, they just believed they were going to die. Now you've got to realize that they navigate with the sun or stars, so they'd been lost at sea for about 14 days, not knowing where they are. And you know, see, you could picture a big storm kind of going across the ocean. They're just caught in this storm. They can't get out of it. They're just being stuck in the storm, moving across the ocean. They're 500 miles off course by this time. They've dumped off all their cargo. The storm continues to move them on. They're just waiting for the ship to hit something and, and for all of them to die. They'd lost all hope. Sound like a good day at sea. 14 days at sea. You know what? We've talked about this before, but I want to talk about this for a few minutes, brothers and sisters. You know, when I read things like this, I'm thinking... Well, let me ask you this question. Did that storm catch God by surprise? No. Could God have stopped the storm? Yeah. Did he allow the storm? Yeah, he did. And I I don't know, when I read things like this, I'm thinking, hasn't Paul put up with enough? I mean, when I picture this, I said, God, you know what? You should be giving Paul a lounge chair on top of this deck let him review his scrolls. Let him get some sunshine. Nice sunny sailing weather. I mean, Paul deserves a break, God. He's up on the poor guy. He's been imprisoned, stoned, flogged. He's going to Rome to share the testimony, the, the gospel with the, with the emperor of Rome. And what happens? 
He gets to sea all excited, and he hits this huge storm. You know, brothers and sisters, and the question is, is we all face different circumstances in life, don't we? Circumstances come our way. And we need to understand God's perspective on these things. I don't know about you, but when they come my way, a lot of times I feel like Paul, like, what in the world are you doing to me now? What are you allowing this in my life for now? Do you ever feel that way? So let's look at a few texts here. This will be our main application point. I just want to talk about circumstances in our life. And uh, we'll try to gain a godly perspective on that. You good with that? All right. So here's, here's a good one for us, Ecclesiastes 7.14. When times are good, be happy. When, when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. You good with that? How about this one? I form light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You all encouraged now? <laughs> the reality is, brothers and sisters, God allows these things to happen. He allows them to happen in our lives. He is in control, complete control, including the devil, and he allows these things to happen in our lives. So that's the first truth we have to come to grips with, right? Okay, a few more. How about this one? This is how I feel a lot of times. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come as fish caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Do you ever notice that? It just seems like everything's going okay, and then boom, you're knocked off your feet by another circumstance that God's allowed in your life. And they come in all different ways, brothers and sisters. It can be sickness. It can be a loss of a job. It can be a, you know, betrayal of a loved one or breaking up in a relationship. It comes all different ways. God, God is a, has a variety of of circumstances he allows in our life. And, you know, I don't know about you, but it seems like as soon as I kind of feel like I have got certain circumstances, when they come as waves in an ocean come, there's certain circumstances in my life I, I really believe I can, I can continue to be faithful in. But then he throws me a curveball. He throws me something I haven't experienced before. Has that happened to you? That's how life is for me. But they come unexpectedly. So, number one is we know that God is in control of all these things. Secondly, they come unexpectedly. And, and look at this one from Jeremiah. It says, whether it is favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we, we are sending you so that it will go well with us. For we will obey the Lord our God. Now, that, that's a choice that we make in the, in the, in the middle of a circumstance. See, brothers and sisters, hear me on this, is that when a, when a difficult life circumstance is coming at you, the temptation that's going to overwhelm you is the world. It's going to say, give up. This God thing's not working out. Go trust in the ways of the world to resolve these worldly problems. And, and the temptation's going to come hard and fast. Listen, these guys are going to come to you, gals are going to come to you with all kinds of solutions to your life circumstantial problems that you're going through. And you'll be tempted to give in and just follow the way of the world. But the key thing here is we need to stay with God and obey Him in those difficult circumstances. Are you with me? Because what does it say happens if we do? 
it says, so that we will, it will go well with us. I mean, I'm sure you have, as I have, as I have listened to, I would call it worldly counsel, and difficult situations in my life, and it's only made things worse. It's only made things worse. Look at this one. Though the, the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet what? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I mean, if you, you, you picture this person, this brother or sister, I mean, they don't have anything to eat. They don't have a bank account. They don't have a 401k. They don't have anything, yet they're choosing not only to obey God, but to do what? Rejoice in the Lord. Now, how do we do that? How do we rejoice in the Lord when it seems like all things are going wrong in our life? How about this one? A couple more. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. It has no worries at a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Man, I, I, pray, that, I pray that that describes us. That as storms in our life come, as circumstances come, that, beloved, and I hear this, that, that our, our roots are rooted in the stream, a fresh water stream. See that? That's God in His Word, in His way by the Spirit. We're so well rooted in God that as the storms and the, and the seasons and the trials come, we're still bearing fruit. Our, we still have leaves on our tree. You know, brothers and sisters, the, the greatest time for people to determine whether this thing that we call Christianity is worth anything if it's real, is how we deal with life circumstances. You know what? And even go skipping down the street praising Jesus when all things are going well. But when the life storms come at us and the circumstances are difficult, if we continue to praise God, the world takes notice of that. Because that is contrary to what the world does when things go bad. Do you see that? So, so we need, first of all, Know this, God's in control of all things. Secondly, these things are going to come in your life unexpectedly. You can't plan for bad circumstances. You know, in other words, you don't know when they're coming. And the third thing is, if you plant yourself with God, deep roots in his word and his way, when they come, you'll be fruitful. You'll be a fruitful follower of Jesus. People will take notice and they'll listen to the gospel. They'll listen to what you have to say about Jesus. And by the way, how good does grumbling, what does grumbling and complaining do for you? Does that bear any fruit? You just go with the way of the world. Ah, oh, God, you know, he turned his back on me and all this. Ridiculous. We have to be these trees planted by the streams of living water to bear fruit. Look at this up here, this uh, Luke 8 verse. Remember this? One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. That means they were, they were facing death. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. 
He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And what did he ask him? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? By the way, this text obviously proves that God could have stilled the storm with Paul, too, with a word, right? He could have said calm. But in Paul's case, he didn't say that. But brothers and sisters, it's such a big deal that, uh, that as these trials and tribulations, these, these circumstances come to us, that we must remain faithful. We must remain faithful. I mean, do, you know, do you, the question is, do you, do you believe God? First of all, do you believe God's all-powerful? Yes, I heard yes. We believe God's all-powerful. Do you really believe in the depth of your soul that God is good? God is good. And, and do you believe that in all things God works for the good of those who love him? Right? These are truths we have to hold on to as these circumstances start rolling over us as waves because... The world's going to be trying to beat those out of us, but those are truths. God is loving. He's kind. He's good. He's patient. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's with us in those things, and we have to trust in that even when we don't understand why he's allowing these things to happen. I'm not going to go over this one. Just look up here for a second. Remember this one with Lazarus? I'm not going to read this text to you, but the point I want to make to you, this is when he called Lazarus out of the grave. So here's it is, brothers and sisters. Even when we face death, which unless the Lord comes back, we're all going to face physical death. He has complete victory over that. There's not even any fear in death for those that believe. So what, what should we be fearful about? What, what should we be anxious about in this life as we live out our life for Jesus Christ? As all these different circumstances come at us, what should we be anxious about? Nothing. We should be anxious about nothing. Not even death. And if we question any of those things in our life, the reality is, is that we don't have the faith that we need to live the life that God called us to. Back to the text. Let's look at how Paul handles these circumstances. Uh, Acts uh, 27:21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Verse 23, Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So they're, they're, they've been lost at sea for 14 days. They haven't been eating. They haven't been sleeping. You've got to imagine some of these guys are throwing up all over the boat, totally stressed out. 
And Paul comes to them, and I mean, you've got to love this. The first thing he reminds them of, you should, you know, not, you know, ha, I told you so, right? I mean, that's kind of how he starts this whole thing off. But really, he, what he's doing is he's building credibility. He's saying, hey, listen, I know what I'm talking about. I warned you this was going to happen. So what I'm about to say, listen up, because I, I pretty much predicted this was going to happen to us. And then he lays this on them. The first thing he tells them, is that last night an angel of God to whom I have served stood beside me. Beloved, when we face difficult circumstances, one of the first truths we have to grab onto is God is with us. God is with us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You're in the hand of God. He's right there with you all the time in these difficult circumstances. Doesn't that give you peace? Doesn't that encourage your hearts? So the first thing he tells, we learn from this as believers, that God is with us. The second thing is that that we belong to God. Do you see that? He said, this God appeared to me, to whom I belong, to whom I belong. Do you see that? The second thing we should be encouraged with in these circumstances is that we belong to God. You're marked as Christ's own. You've been adopted into God's family. You're a child of God. Now let me ask you, if you're a child of God, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present, doesn't that kind of help you through circumstances, knowing that? That God is always with us, and we belong to God. You know, i got some brothers in this church that got my back. i got a guy that's got my back, my front, my top, my bottom, and my sides. He has my past, my present, and my future. That's the God we serve. So life's coming at us as waves. Things are going bad. God is with me. I belong to God. So the reality is, whatever's going to happen to me, he's allowing it to happen. Does that help you at all? And the third thing he says, this is to whom I serve, to whom I serve. Do you see, brothers and sisters, don't miss this, is that here's Paul. I mean, come on, he's yelling at the top of his lungs. There's waves coming over the ship. This thing's being tossed all over the place. He's got the guys on the deck, and he's yelling this out to him. Don't worry. God is with me. I belong to God. And because of that, I choose to serve this God. That's how much faith I have. I'm not even stuck in my circumstances. I'm going to continue to serve him in this great tribulation that I'm facing right now. Do you see, that's what our call is. That's what I was talking about earlier, is that we need to be a bright light in our darkest hour. We need to be that one crying out, encouraging others, even though we're on that same ship. Because we have God with us. We belong to God. So we choose to continue to serve God. Do you see that? You okay, Darnell? And then he kind of wraps it all up. He says, and I have faith in this God. Everything he said is going to happen exactly as he, as he told me. Have you noticed that? That in those times you trust God and obey him and you realize he's with you and you belong to him and you serve him. Has God, have you ever gone through one of those situations? 
Doesn't that build your faith? Brothers and sisters, has God ever delivered you? Has God ever walked with you in a trial? Has God ever done miraculous things in your life that you can't explain? Yeah. So why would we doubt him in our next wave, our next circumstance, our next trial? Paul didn't. Okay, back to the text just for a few minutes. I want to finish up this chapter. That's the main application point today. So look what happens here. Verse 27, we'll pick up. It says that um, on the 14th night, we were still driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Paul's got these guys praying now. (laughs) These guys are praying. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul goes up to the centurion, Julius, the commander, and the soldiers. Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and left it drift away. I mean, isn't it amazing? Paul, the prisoner in change, is now the commander of the ship. (laughs) See what happens when you follow God? It's amazing. He's commanding the ship, telling Julius and the soldiers what to do. Uh, Continue in verse 33. We're almost through this. but It said, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He said, for the last 14 days, you have been in constant suspense, constant anxiety, and have gone without food. Amazing. You haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Wow. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. You see Paul being a bold witness for God, and God's getting the glory in this. He's praying publicly before them. Then he broke and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us aboard. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing grain into the sea. And here's the end of it here, verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. When they hoisted the foresail to to the wind and made for the beach, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers then planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. Remember what I said, that if the prisoners escaped, they would be responsible, they would be killed. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. Here are those who could swim to jump overboard first to get to land, and the rest were to get on planks and other pieces of the ship. And this way, everyone reached the land safely. Amazing, isn't it? So I just close with this, brothers and sisters. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 1.12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Has really served to advance the gospel. 
just crying out to you. Difficult life circumstances are going to come your way. You may be in a time of peace right now. You may be in the middle of a difficult circumstance. But, but you have to choose to believe that God is with you. You belong to God and choose to serve him in that difficult situation. And if you do, you too will advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we just thank you that we hear clearly from your word that you're in control of all things, that you really desire the best for us even when we don't understand what's going on, sickness, death, loss of job, whatever it is, Lord. We pray that you would give us the faith to believe. Remind us that you're with us. Remind us that we belong to you. Help us to serve you in those difficult situations so that we may advance the gospel. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.